In the great halls of USA Today, we assemble the newsroom's mightiest nerds, Brett Molina. I'm so sorry for the producer of this podcast. <laughs> Kelly Lawler. I will fight you on it. Brian Truitt. Spoiler town! <laughs> Together, they form The Mothership. Their mission? To harness their collective encyclopedic knowledge of nerdiness in all its forms. To dissect every trailer, plot twist, and game released for the geekiest of fans. The Mothership. Saving the universe from bad comic book adaptations every Friday. All aboard the Mothership, the Geek Culture Podcast from the USA Today Network. Thanks so much for joining us, and happy Friday, everybody. Happy Friday! Woo-hoo. Can I take a moment to commemorate the fact that we're all here at the same time, which I feel like has been a while? Yay! It's great Yay. to have all of us here now. Super happy. Um, let's meet the crew. I'm Brett Molina. I play video games. And what's been getting me through this week is um, is actually NBA 2K20. Um, it's a video game based on the NBA. Um, the big reason I've been getting into it is my son has started getting into it because he has gotten really into basketball lately. Um, because the NBA is operating in the bubble and the games are on pretty much all the time. Like I've been seeing basketball on TV and keeping it on. And so he's been watching it and keeping an eye on it. So as a result, I told him we have a video game where you can play basketball, and he got into it. And so we've been playing a lot together, and it's been a lot of fun. The one thing I will say, though, about him is he talks a lot of trash when he plays, which is hilarious. <laughs> and <laughs> there are times I think it's funny, and then there are times where, like, I think I need to, like, kick his butt a little bit to kind of calm him down because he's getting a little too full of himself. But He's like five and a half, I right? know, exactly, which is <laughs> even funnier because – it's a little kid and he's spouting all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, dude, you got to chill out. And uh, it's, it's hilarious. But he, he's been loving playing it and I've loved playing it with him. So it's been really great. And yeah, it's having basketball has been delightful. So just wait until you never win again and he just beats you every time. I know. I got to, <laughs> I got to beat him now while I still can't. So, right. Yeah. Right. I'm Brian Truitt. I watch movies, and what's getting me through this week is similar because Madden 21 is finally out, and it is awesome, and my team is okay, and my defense kind of sucks, but it's going to get better, and I love it. Full stop. You've been playing that for a long time, though. Like the Yeah, the it's like, team. I think this is the fourth Madden in a row that I've, I've been very, very, very... Um, obsessive about playing um but yes i've so i've been waiting for this all summer and all is good even in quarantine all is well because madden 21 is here so yay uh i'm kelly lawler i watch television and what's getting me through the week is re-watching the legend of Korra, which um is the sequel series to avatar the last airbender um, they're both at Nickelodeon, but that does not mean that they are like, quote, kid shows. They are some of the best fantasy series I've ever seen. Um, I am slightly more partial to Avatar than to Korra, which is like, it's very controversial. Which one do you like more? Um, but uh, I love these shows when I was younger. They came out probably when I was like, in my like preteens, teens, and then, um, or Avatar did, and then Korra came out when I was a little bit older. And um, they're about kids who can save the world, basically. It takes place in this world where 
Um, there are certain people who are called benders and they can manipulate the four elements, air, water, fire, and earth. And um, it's, it's like really epic fantasy. Like the first series is all about the fire nation has been trying to conquer the world and they wiped out one of the civilizations and there's only the avatar can do, can do all four elements and he's supposed to save the world. Um, and the second series is about the next avatar and it's like takes place decades in the future in a more industrialized world. So it's kind of like fantasy taking place in the Gilded Age. Um, and there's like conflicts between people who have the superpowers and people who don't. Um, it's really, it's really sophisticated stuff um, for adults, for kids. And it just makes me so happy to watch them again. Um, and I hope that more people watch them since they're on Netflix and they're, they're getting the big head treatment, at least on my Netflix. Cora has been, it just came on Netflix this August. So highly recommend. Are you Avatar or Korra? I'm slightly more towards Avatar because I think I saw it first. I saw it when I was a little bit younger. And the story is more like a Lord of the Rings kind of hero's journey over three seasons. And Korra is more like a big bad of the season um, one. And she's a little bit older. like So she's a teenager in Avatar. The first one, uh, the the hero is like 11. So um, I think like when I was that age, I really connected with Avatar. Oh, okay. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. I mean, not to derail this podcast, but your daughter would love it. Oh, well, there we go. Um, and it's, it's totally appropriate. It's, it's Nickelodeon, obviously. Mm-hmm. All right, well, putting that on the list. Um, if this is your first time listening, welcome. New episodes of Mothership drop every Friday, and you can subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to listen. While you're on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could write a quick review about the show. Uh, by doing that, you help other fans who love nerdy pop culture find us. And as a bonus, you get a special shout-out on the next episode, so try it out. Let us know what you want to hear from the show moving forward. Um, it's all upside for you. Don't forget, along with leaving a review, you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at Mothership Pod, or you can send an email to MothershipPod at usatoday.com. This week, we have a very special double feature. We have not one, but two special guests. Let's start here with this clip. We are no one. We are everyone. And we are invisible. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. All police. Are we safe? What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. That was from HBO's Watchmen, Damon Lindelof's miniseries that continued the world of the classic Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons comics. It's been nominated for a whopping 26 Emmys including for director Steph Green, who helmed the episode all about Tim Blake Nelson's Looking Glass. Steph was kind enough to join us to talk about the series and the Emmys, which will be held virtually in September. Steph, thanks so much for being here. So let's get started. How did you get involved with Watchmen? Were you familiar at all with the comics before you signed on to do the HBO show? I was. Yeah, I I wouldn't say I was like a uh, deeply knowledgeable, but I knew them. I'd read it. And I have a brother-in-law who's an obsessive, like, Every year he reads it like a ritual. And um, so I had a deep appreciation. And then, and then uh, Nicole uh, 
um, Cassell is a longtime colleague and friend, and um, I also am a huge fan of Damon's. So as soon as Nicole um, came onto the project, she started recruiting the team, and luckily I got that phone call from Nicole um, to to say, "Come be a partner with me in this amazing project." How did you sort of get the episode that you got, um, which was a little fear of lightning? Um, I, th- you know, I think sometimes um, it's just scheduling and when, you know, when your brother Nicole was going to do the first couple, then we had Steven and then I was going to be the next, the next wave. And I just, you know, I felt very lucky to, to have the big reveal um, of the squid episode. I couldn't believe it when I read those first, that the first teaser pages, I had to like, my heart started beating so fast. It was just so exciting. Um so yeah, just luck, just really luck, and um, you know, hopefully, some thought from HBO and Damon and Nicole, just thinking, you know, let's have Steph do this episode. Well, so and for me, that episode really ties together the original Watchmen book so well with the actual TV show. I mean, kind of we we fi- you know we've seen like at that point four other episodes, but this one finally like gets to the heart of the matter of like why is everybody so freaked out about New York. Why Why does Wade, you know, have a thing on his head? You know, there's so much that happens. But let's talk about that opening scene. When you're reading it about, oh, I get to do the Squid episode, do you go back to the original Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons comic as, and use as, like, storyboards to kind of to jump off to what you want to realize as the Squid scene? We did. We really uh, went back to the the book. And that was part of what was so fun because we could pull directly – um, from that incredible imagery. I had it, I had put up, the, I blew up and then I put up all the pages from the comic in my office. And we, we were taking them apart and thinking, um, what are these little vignettes of destruction that we can borrow directly from the comic? And, and we were the only kind of 1985 situated scene, um, which was just so, so brilliant that it was through the eyes of Looking Glass, through this character of young Wade, um, that we were going to experience this epic trauma um, of the squid attack. So we studied um, in in creating that carnival set. Um, we really studied, and there's lots of Easter eggs in there. I mean, from from uh, pale horse posters, um, the clock. You know, I mean, for anyone looking, even down to like pandas, and, uh, you know, kind of a the. the of, of dead bodies on the flipped over cars. I mean, those are really pulled, our production design team. Uh, we were really looking at the graphic novel, which was just so fun because while the show is inspired by the graphic novel, there there weren't so many one-to-one opportunities. And we had that that opportunity, which was really fun. So what was it like working with Tim Blake Nelson on that episode and, and just generally on the series? He's so brilliant. He is such a brilliant actor. Um, and this was, this was a delight because he, with me, we were both learning about this origin story of Looking Glass. And, um, you know, he, he got to be the character that we experienced the squid attack with. And then we saw this lifelong scarring of what it meant to be where he was when that happened. And also the lifelong, um, you know, decisions that followed with, with using the reflective teen and connecting that with the mirror maze, you know, where he was, had this uh, trauma, double trauma really was so sort of shamed by this young woman. And then, you know, after that, um, out into the the chaos. 
Um, but there's always this question, you know, did the mirror maze save him? Was it somehow a sort of insulator? Um, and then and then the fact that he would, you know, wear the reflectatine and all the little, all these connections that Damon makes in his brilliant writing that Tim and I were just um, really uh, taking taking apart and analyzing and having so much fun doing script analysis and character analysis. And Tim is also a director, so he really understands the camera and um, he understands how to work with where the camera's placed as an actor. He had perfected his accent. He's from Tulsa, so he has this really meaningful relationship with the material. So um, it was just a, such a pleasure. And we felt like we were making a, a feature film together, you know, with Tim as the star. And it was just such a delight. Um, so you mentioned the Funhouse mirrors, which obviously there are layers because of looking glass and everything. So um, but when you when it comes to actually working with like a bunch of mirrors and reflective surfaces all throughout that episode, it, does it is it hard? Do you have to like, are there weird challenges about like camera placement and the boom mic placement and that kind of thing? Yes, that is <laughs> well observed. It is so challenging. Um, and I'm so glad that Javier is nominated for an Emmy for this episode. Um, because he worked so hard on the mathematics puzzle of these, these mirrors. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew the feeling that we wanted in the mirror maze. Um, but to actually accomplish it, you know, the, the go-to thought was like, well, we're going to have to use some VFX, but he was determined that we do it all practically. Um, so he built a tiny model using mirrors and thinking about putting the camera behind a one-way mirror so we could see wait or is it called a two-way mirror maybe it's called it I don't know I should I should know this but basically we they couldn't see us but we could see them so we were we were as a camera crew crunched behind this I think it's called a one-way mirror and we could see them and the actors were in this completely immersive real mirror maze where they didn't even often know where the camera was um, and Javier had figured this all out with the production designer the only VFX element is when the mirrors shatter and there's kind of that big explosion. And then we physically destroyed the mirror maze for the, for his emergence coming, coming out of it the next day. We shot that the next day. So it was really fun and really complicated. Um, and, and Javier would be, it would be a, a master, give a master class on how he figured out how to hide the camera and get all those replications to be correct, you know, and, in real time. I want to ask about the musical cues, um, especially the throwback ones in that in that opening scene. We first hear things can only get better, and then we hear Carol's whisper when he's in the, the maze, and that tune then gets kind of like, you know... Remixed, pretty much. yeah. Remixed, yeah. remixed, and it comes back over and over again during the episode. Why those two um, songs in particular? And there's, a, there's a lot of musical cues, but why those two in particular did you feel were important for the story? I think they just embodied a kind of pre-trauma and post-trauma Wade. You know, he, he starts out in this sort of this sort of openness to a new relationship with this flirty young girl um, at a at a carnival that's full of, um, you know, all the things that a teenager would want to be exposed to, even even a Jehovah's Witness. He's seeing people kissing and, um, you know, this sort of like Hoboken excitement for this you know, Oklahoma boy. So, um, so what starts out as sort of innocent and natural curiosity is becomes a betrayal. And, um, you know, the themes of betrayal, 
and denial and uh, trauma run through Wade's story. And I think what was so particular about the episode is we were so tied to Wade's perspective that we were able to give him a theme and, you know, keep working with that theme depending on what was happening in his character arc, depending on if he was, you know, more mournful or angry or um, we really used Careless Whisper to go inside his internal internal process. And I, I thought it really was very haunting um, in the way that Wade is haunted by that, that his past. So you've been nominated for an Emmy for this episode. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, but uh, how are you feeling about virtual award shows? I mean, are, are they telling everyone to, to dress up for this? I mean, is everyone going to be wearing like sweatpants and stuff during the ceremony? Like, it just sounds real interesting that we're going to, you know, all these award shows are going to be virtual now. How are you feeling about it? I wish I knew what was going to happen. I really don't. Um, they've said, they've sort of asked us some questions, you know, like, what are you comfortable with? Would, would, would you invite a, if a crew wanted to be in your backyard, would that be okay? Um, but I think they're asking those questions as they're, as they're conceptualizing. I don't think anything is set in stone. Um, but yeah, I'm certainly curious how, how this is going to work. Um, I don't think we'll be leaving I mean, maybe maybe some people will go to a very safe studio uh, setting. Maybe I have no idea, but I, I really don't know. I really don't know. We may not know till quite, you know, right before, perhaps. Um, so before you worked in Watchmen, you worked on a lot of different TV series, including The Americans, which is one of my favorites, but also. Me too. <laughs> other comic book shows like Preacher and Luke Cage. So is there something about comic book adaptations that you really enjoy working on? What what I find with um, comic book adaptations is there is, um, there is a real cinematic and uh, there's just cinematic possibilities because, because it's already coming from this like bold visual inspiration. I feel like we tend to make bold choices. Um, you know, it's, it's not a sort of naturalistic We're you know, a lot of the shows I work on are naturalistic, which I love, but when you're in a comic book universe, everything can be that pushed experience. So, um, you know, when I think about Preacher or Luke Cage, I think about like noir and, and canted angles and extreme close-ups and really having fun with the camera um, and really being inspired by the different framing devices that these incredible artists used on those shows. So I think, um, you know, I've, I, I really like the diversity that I've been able to, to play around with in different TV shows, but there is something just very creatively exciting and freeing um, when you have that kind of um, rich source material to pull from and then to kind of expand upon. So what are you working on right now? Or do you have like a to-do list once things get back to, you know, quote unquote normal? I'm working on making banana bread like everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, it's been so uh, sad to have to stop, you know, this job that I love. Um, I was prepping on the dropout as producing director uh, with Kate McKinnon. Um, I have a couple irons in the fire on other um kind of premium TV and then I'm attached to some features. And I think we're all just really talking about how do we get back to work safely? Um, there's just a lot of connecting um, over how we make the work we love in a COVID reality. 
So, um, you know, later today I have a call with a colleague who did do a four day pickup on a show and I'm so curious how that went and to hear what the feelings were on sets because we were all, we're all anxious to get back to work. Um, so I don't know if you've uh, heard, but HBO has, um, a like filmed in quarantine series coming out, the coastal elites, um, with, (laughs) it's, it's like a, it sort of takes place from the perspective of different people across the country and it's filmed zoom looking essentially. I'm just curious, like as a director, are you thinking about any of those kinds of like, it looks like we're in quarantine projects. Like, would that be a challenge that would be fun? Or do you just want to, are you just like, no, let's just try to move over that. No one wants to look at Zoom right now. I mean, I'm more interested in, like, I love VFX. And I, for example, I watched the Mandalorian over the break. And like, I love that technology that they're using. And I know a lot of their prep is able to be from home because there's a lot of um, technology that you're, you're using and then you're in touch with previs artists and there's a lot that can be done, you know, before everyone's on set together. Um, You know, anyone who loves kind of a carefully constructed visual image is going to be a little wary of zoom, but I think that some of the creativity um, will be incredible. I know that I know things are being produced. It's really exciting to hear. I'm sure that's going to be really good if HBO is behind it. Um, so I'm inspired by the ingenuity, um, but I love the collaboration of set and that's really about people. And so, um, I'm not exactly sure how we make, well, I mean, I love anim. I think animation and, and that, that world, but again, I really miss the, the collaborative energy on set. So I'm looking forward to it returning. So one last question before we let you go. Um, you, you know, you mentioned making banana bread, you know, during this time. What are some other things that you've been doing to try to stay sane through everything that's been going on the last few months? Yeah, um, I definitely baked and put on the COVID-19. Um, I, I've been reading more. Um, I'm reading The Overstory by Richard Powers right now, which is just a beautiful book. Um, reading a lot of scripts. I think like Hollywood is, you know, we're, everyone's reading and we're passing stuff around and trying to tee things up for when we can. And nature, I think like this has been the, the, the silver lining lesson is, is we're all realizing how good it feels and how important it is to be outside. Um, hopefully the 105 degree weather will calm down a little bit so we can do more of that. But yeah, no recipe. Sometimes I'm just depressed. And that's okay too. <laughs> are you in California? Yeah, I'm in LA. Oh, the wildfires are crazy. It's just another layer of crazy right now. You know, my family's all in Northern California and they're calling it Mordor up there. Like it's just dark and grim. It's, it's as if we needed this, this right now. It's not, not great. I'm glad you're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Between wildfires and heat wave and everything else, it just seems... It's just a lot going on out there. California is getting a, a bit of a battering right now, I would say. Yeah, definitely testing us. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. And best of luck with the Emmys and, and everything going on in your career. Thanks, guys. Really nice to meet all of you. Stay safe and healthy. Okay, remember, if you haven't seen Watchmen yet, season one's on HBO. I highly, highly recommend it. I think everyone in the show highly recommends it. It's amazing. Um but now, let's get excellent. Bill 
Ted. Enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel. And you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Whoa. Greetings, my excellent friend. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan. Performed tonight will save reality as we know it. Oh. Dude, we better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? And take it from ourselves. Except, won't that be stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? Yes, you heard that most excellent guitar riff correctly. Bill and Ted are back in their third installment, Face the Music, on streaming platforms and in theaters today. Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, time-traveling dudes, are now middle-aged and have to write the song that will save reality. But they also run into their old pal Death, played by William Sadler, in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey from 1991. That bass-playing Grim Reaper is back on screen and also on this podcast. William, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. It was nice to be here. So let's start here because we ask our guests this at the top of every interview. Um, how's your quarantine going? Um, it's actually, you know, it's there's a silver lining to this. I I spend a lot of time on the road filming one thing and another, and I've and being forced to stay home has. Uh, I don't know. I made a garden. The roses are doing well. I get to play with the grandchildren. Um, go fishing. I've been writing songs and playing guitar a lot. It's, uh, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to get back to restaurants and work, but, uh, but it, but it hasn't all been bad. When you took off the makeup and hung up the robe back in, in 91, did you ever think you'd be playing death again someday? No. <laughs> well, I thought, I thought, I mean, if there was if there was going to be a spinoff, I thought maybe they would make like Reaper Madness or or something like that. Um, but because the character was funny and and and, um, and I really, re- I really enjoyed playing him. I mean, I have to say it's like one of the most fun things I've ever done as an actor. Um, but no, I didn't. <laughs> After the first decade goes by and then the second decade goes by and then. <laughs> nine years of the third decade go by. I didn't think there was going to be another one. I was surprised. And about, I don't know, three years ago or four years ago, Ed Solomon called me at home and said, we're making, we're writing a third one and we'd like to write death into it. Uh, Would you be interested in doing it? And I said, yeah. It took me about three seconds to say yes. Um, I'd love to play that guy again. So in the new movie, what do you like about how it reintroduces death? I think my favorite thing about it is that we, we feel the time that's gone between the bogus journey and this one. We've, um, he's in a different place than, he, than we left him at the, that concert at the end, the Battle of the Bands at the end of Bogus Journey, where their song is playing all over the universe, all over the planet and people are dancing. Um, but death has apparently gone off and had a, 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 a solo career, and it has not gone great. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was, 
I mean, how many albums can you do where it's just bass? <laughs> so, so when we find him, he's a, you know, he's in a, he's in a hard place. He's sort of in a, he's sort of in a dark place and needs, he needs some redemption. And, uh, and it, and it happens. It, he gets it. So uh, along with reprising this role, you're also acting again alongside Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. What was it like having that experience again now compared when you first worked with them on the earlier movies 30 years ago? I think the thing that surprised me the most about s- stepping back onto the set with, with those, two, those two actors is how it didn't feel like any time had passed at all. Um, I mean, you do the preparation and the work on the script and, the, you know, get yourself you know, the three hours of makeup and the wardrobe and working out the, you know, working with those great big shoes that he has to wear. You do all of that. And then you step onto the set. And the, the second we were on the set with the, I was on the set with Alex and Keanu. It was like we had never, it was like we'd never left. You know, it was like, everybody has friends like that. I think that you don't see them for five years and they walk in the door and it's, you just pick up like right exactly where you left off. And that's sort of what it felt like. I was, um, the energy was still there. The playfulness was there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Well, you mentioned the shoes and I never realized this until you posted to your Twitter yesterday. But those are some <laughs> crazy high boots that you have to wear. Do those date back to Bogus Journey? Yes. The same ones? They're not the same boots. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're the same. I mean, I have the Bogus Journey boots, but I couldn't find them to go down to New Orleans. I would have put them in the suitcase and worn those. But they're the same thing. They're like, they make me tall. It's like, like six something or other. I'm taller than Keanu in them, which is, which is great fun because I'm, t- I'm not taller than anybody on almost any set. Um, so to go along with the boots, Death has a pretty amazing crib in hell. Um, was there anything yeah. about – what was your favorite part of that set decoration? <laughs> I like the – he's got al- the album cover, you know, the memorabilia all over the wall from the Wild Stallions, like – you know, from their world tour before his solo career. I like that he has John Lennon's piano in his, in his front room. And, and Lennon apparently comes over and plays every once in a while. Um, there's, oh, I don't I'm not sure you can see it when you, I don't want to spoil anything, but the, uh, the approach to his house, you have to walk over this like molten lava in his front yard, um, out where he's playing hopscotch. The set design was just extraordinary. It was like, that was, I was blown away. It was during, it was like mid-century modern, except, you know, no, no one knows which century it was. <laughs> <laughs> so Anthony Kerrigan is among uh, some of the new actors in this, in this movie, and you have a few scenes with him. Um, was it it's, nice to have somebody else around who had to spend time in the makeup chair like you? He had to spend even more time. I think he was even more uncomfortable than I was. Um, my heart went right out to him because I knew, and he's also, was, he was phenomenal to work with. He's just a beautiful, beautiful actor. Um, and, um, and we didn't have an awful lot to do with one another, but it was, a, but his, his character, there are parallels between 
his character in this one and my character in Bogus Journey, where um, he's a he's a pretty scary dude when you first meet him, and then he's you know little by little he becomes uh, a softy, and uh, you know like all of us. But I thought he was uh, I, I thought he was phenomenal. And and I always felt bad for him sitting standing around and sitting around in the in that outfit. He couldn't could not have been comfortable in New Orleans in the dead of August. You've played so many great characters over the years in movies. I mean, you're even the president in the Marvel universe. Um, who would you love to get another crack at if you could? Once things got back to normal. Oh wow. It can, there's, there's no way that it could ever happen, but it would be great to revisit um, Haywood in the Shawshank Redemption. He was, he was fun to play um, with his slight stutter and his... Um, uh, I, I, it's funny, when I approach characters, there's the, one of the first things I try to do is decide how smart they are. Like, and I, I imagine I have a dial that I, I can dial up or down the IQ. And with someone, with character like Haywood, you just dial it down. <laughs> it just, <laughs> you just keep going down until it, um, and he just becomes funnier and funnier as you, um, as you do. Yeah, I guess I would, that was fun. Um, I loved playing Breaker in uh, Demon Knight with uh, Billy Zane and, and Jada Pinkett, that movie was, um, I could do that again. I would love to do that again. I just did a film called VFW uh, last year, um, sort of an action, this strange action, uh, action adventure sort of film. And uh, I'm old to be doing action, but it was such a trip. It was so, it was so fun to uh, um, just pretend that you're in that life and death situation again. You know, or all of these veterans of uh, foreign wars are trapped in this building and they're being assaulted. It's kind of a John Carpenter style film, but uh, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, and I think VFW is kind of cool too because it was kind of an expendables kind of thing where it brought back a lot of you know those great character actors like yourself and Martin Cove's in it too I think yeah and you know and it just it's it's cool because these people I grew up watching you know you and him and Karate Kid and stuff it's cool to kind of see you guys in action again and playing these kind of roles yeah. Well, I think the, big, the biggest surprise in that one was that we had all worked together at one time or another in our careers. Our paths had crossed many times. Um, and to throw us all, so there was, a, there was already a lot of respect and, and uh, love for one another, you know. And, and I think that just bubbled over onto the, you know, into the scenes. Um, they were playful and fun and the, you know, all of this sniping back and forth was all was was all real because we all really because we all really feel that way about each other. So that's fun when it happens. Um, 
your your IQ test about your characters makes me really want to ask you about Sheriff Valenti in Roswell. Oh. Which is one of the first places I saw you, which is <laughs> aging myself young. But um, I love that show so much growing up. I feel like he was pretty smart. He's pretty smart. That's, he's on, he's, you turn the dial up. That's the, that's what I mean. And, and as you turn the dial up, they see more and more and more of what's going on around them. Like until, until you're a Bond villain when, you know, he knows what's going on behind him. He's two moves ahead of you. He sees everything all at once. Valenti was, Valenti was a great character to play. He was, he was fun. Little romance. So you have you have Bill and Ted coming out now, and then in September you're playing Michael Flynn in the uh, history miniseries, The Comey Rule. Um, what was that experience like? Turn that dial down again. <laughs> <laughs> that was exciting. That was extraordinary. Um, Jeff Daniels is a is a just a consummate actor. I've I was um, I'm sort of a news junkie, so I was. I knew almost as much about him as, as they knew in the script. But even so, there were details about that that I, I was surprised by. Um, I think it's a I think it's a great story, and uh, I'm glad it's I'm glad it's coming out. You know, I mean, I think it's an important story and and an amazing. Uh, there are revelations in it that tend to get things that tend to get lost in the sauce. You forget. Um, <laughs> it's like one cri- the, the weekly crisis after crisis after crisis that 2020 has been, it's easy to forget. You watch the movie and you go, Oh, that's right. Oh. Um, so yeah, but, but Michael Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> and his story isn't even over yet. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I honestly don't know whether he's going to end up in prison or not. You were in a bunch of great TV shows in the eighties that I grew up with new heart, the equalizer, St. Elsewhere, dear John, many more, which one meant the most to you as an up and coming screen actor? Oh my, I think, well, the Equalizer was like an eye-opener. Um, I was the first, I think it was one of the first times I'd played an evil, an evil doer. <laughs> um, and Edward Woodward was, uh, I'd watched the show and I was sort of a, I was sort of a fan already when they asked, when I auditioned and got that role. But because it was one of the first, uh, it took me a long, I did a lot of theater before I did my first TV show or my first film and, and, Making the transition was uh, was it, it took it took a few movies before I figured out what I was what I was doing in front of the camera. Um, there was that one. There was um, Deep Space Nine was another one that uh, was sort of an eye opener. That I, I felt privileged to be asked to be part of that world as well because I think the Star Trek. Um, you know, it's just a, it's part of the fabric of our culture and, and, uh, to get, to get to be a part of that is, uh, you know, I think it's an honor. It's fun. Well, uh, it's been great having you. Thanks so much for joining us and, um, sure. you know, best of luck with Bill and Ted and, and best of luck with, with everything else you've got going on. Well, thank you. 
Thank you. Enjoy the movie. Okay, listeners, it's your turn. Have you seen Watchmen yet? Um, what are your thoughts on that episode featuring Looking Glass? Are you going to see Bill and Ted? What's your favorite William Sadler role? I'm going to stop asking questions now and just invite you to talk to us on Twitter. You can find us at Mothership Pod or you can tweet at us individually. I'm at Brett Molina 23 I'm at Brian Truitt. And I'm at K-Lals, K-L-A-W-L-S. And don't forget, you can email us too. We're at MothershipPod at usatoday.com. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks so much for listening. Special thanks to our pilot slash producer of The Mothership this week, Natalie Boyd. If you like the podcast and don't want to miss an episode moving forward, you can subscribe to The Mothership for free on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. Helps other people find the show, gives us great feedback, lets us know what you want to hear from this show moving forward. And you get a special shout-out. Everybody wins. If Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, you can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll be there for you. Uh, Until next week, nerds out. Party on, dudes. Excellent.